Hey everybody, it's Pastor Mike, and I want to say thank you for joining us today at LifePoint Church. We believe Sundays are an opportunity for you to know God. We also believe small groups, the best thing we do, are your opportunity to find freedom. For more information, including locations, service times, which small groups to participate in, please visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. My prayer for you as you listen to our message today is to encourage you and to help you take your next step to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Let's jump right into the message. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3. Let me just encourage all of you, bring a Bible to church, bring a notebook. Today is one of those messages you're gonna wanna take notes on, and so bring a way to take notes to church when you come every Sunday. But I've titled the message, Walk by Faith, Not by Your Flesh. Walk by faith and not by your flesh. Turn with me in your Bible to Philippians 3. While you're turning there, I was 28 years old when I graduated with my master's degree from seminary. I was very excited to have that degree behind me. I'm actually not a great student. I'm not naturally oriented towards school. Uh, I would rather talk with someone than sit in a classroom and write a bunch of papers. But I, I was, the degree was behind me. I was so excited. And I thought for sure I was going to be a hot commodity on the pastor job market. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? I had a few years of ministry experience, and I was now formally educated from a good seminary. I was a hard worker. I had good grades. I knew people who could connect me. Plus, I was tall. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? I just thought for sure I was going to be throwing away job offers because I had so many. Coming towards my graduation, I'd put out my resume to so many churches. I was looking for senior pastor positions, staff pastor positions, and I had zero job offers. We had one daughter and my wife was pregnant with our second daughter and I wanted to work hard. I wanted to provide for my family and I had all this training and all this experience and I needed a job that paid real money and offered health insurance for my growing family. And as hard as I tried at, 30, at 28 years old and as much as I called and applied for churches, I cannot convince anybody to give me a second interview, much less an actual job offer. Well, wanting to provide, because that's just part of what we do, men, right? I want to provide for my family. I needed some income. I got a job delivering pizzas at Papa John's. I had a $50,000 master's degree, a lot of experience, and I had a 19-year-old boss at a pizza shop. I was teaching some adjunct stuff at a local university, but honestly, I mean, my main job was pizza. And Stephanie and I were, if, if I thought about my graduation, we were the featured musician soloist at my graduate school graduation. <clears throat> I'm seated on stage with the president and the denominational leadership. I finished with a decent GPA, I was pretty well liked. I had multiple people pat me on the shoulder, go, you're gonna do some amazing things. Man, we're so proud of you. You're gonna do some great things. And after graduation, I had to take off my cap and gown and put on my green polo and go deliver pizzas. It was incredibly humbling. It was incredibly frustrating. I remember being very angry with God and disappointed. One time delivering way to the edge of our delivery zone for no tip. Can I just encourage everyone to be a good tipper? For God's sake, the drivers don't make good money. Just if you're going to order pizza and you live 30 minutes from the store and you go, keep the change and the change is 38 cents. Shame on you. Shame on you. <laughs> that was passive aggressive, wasn't it? I remember in my anger and frustration, just praying to God and punching the passenger seat of my car. I mean, you know, it's okay to punch a car seat. It's not okay to punch a person. 
I'm just, God, ah, why did you bring me here? And I remember telling God, I've done everything you asked me to do. I moved out here. I did this degree. Look at everything I've done for you and sacrificed for you. And I served you for all these years. I'm faithful to you. Where are you, God? And I had this attitude, you owe me for what I've done for you. Many of us have been in situations like this. By the way, I, I was slinging pizzas for a while. It was a long time before I got a job. And it was not a job that I was really excited about, but it was a job that God put me in to teach me some things prior to coming here. That's a whole other story. Many of us have been in situations like this where we do the hard work, we give all the effort, we do everything appropriate, we, we do all the networking and we, we shake the right hands and what we've worked for just doesn't pan out. The promotion didn't come through after all the extra training we went through on the field. The relationship doesn't happen after we've been very patient and accommodating and buying all those flowers. We didn't get the grade we felt we deserved with all the effort we put in. We didn't get put in the game after showing up to practice and working out extra hard. There's many times we approach God this way. It actually comes to us naturally in Western culture where we make natural connections between our hustle and grind and our rewards and what we expect to achieve. We're told our whole lives, you can do anything you put your mind to. We're told our whole lives as kids, if you work hard enough, you can accomplish anything. Unfortunately, sometimes we approach God this way. We want the blessing of God on our life, so we work really hard to be a good person. Or we need God to fix a broken relationship or some problem that we're going through so we get real involved in church and we commit to going to small groups and doing our Bible studies because we go, if God will see me working hard for him, then God will start working hard for me. It's sad but true. But many people think that our whole life is this big performance cycle. And we're just hopeful that if we do enough good to please God, we might actually please God into heaven or get God to work for us. I wanna pull you away from that mindset today. I wanna to challenge you as your pastor to specifically help you see that we are called to live a life, listen to me, listen to me everybody. We are called and invited to live a life from relationship with Jesus, not trying to earn a relationship with Jesus. We are invited to live in the overflow of what God has done for us, not trying to prove what we can do for him. We're not hamsters on a wheel. We're not trying to perform our way to God. Yet all of us have this tendency. We do it in work, we do it in relationships, and unfortunately we do it towards God. But listen to me, only what Jesus has done will bring you right standing with God. Only what Christ has accomplished for you will please the Father on your behalf. You and I will never please God by our efforts. Only Christ's efforts will please God and we receive it by faith and we walk from a position of faith, from a position of thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me, not trying to please him and prove anything to him. And now we live this life in pleasure as a result of what God has done for us. Only a relationship with Jesus will compel us to live in a way that pleases God. We live from a position as saved sons and daughters we're not trying to get saved or earn his salvation. Now listen, I feel a little heavy in this talk, but maybe there's a reason God's trying to help us here. In Philippians 3, Paul is pushing us hard against the temptations we feel. 
like I did when I did all this work to go through grad school and I moved 600 miles to a city I'd never lived in before with my family and I packed this up and I moved my wife and me. And I go, God, I did all this for you, where are you? And many of us approach God that way with our salvation and we go, where's the joy? Why isn't God answering my prayers? I've done everything you asked. Watch Paul, very passionately teaching us that we have to walk by faith, not by our effort, not by religion, not by our flesh to try to get to God. First thing we're gonna see is we pick up in Philippians 3. If you remember the last text, we saw Paul has these spiritual sons, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's sending them to the Philippians to encourage them, to lift them up, to pastor them because he's in prison. He said, I wanna come to you, but I can't. I'm kind of held up here in jail. So he comes along and, and, and the first thing we're gonna see, Paul challenging us to watch who we follow. And I think you need to add in, the, in your notes here, not only watch who you follow, but watch who you believe, watch what you believe. <clears throat> he starts in, in Philippians 3, verse one, he says, finally, my brothers, how many of you love it when your pastor says in closing? <laughs> okay. Paul says, finally, my brothers, like he's closing the sermon here the book. By the way, he's only halfway done. So that's good preaching. If I ever say in closing and I still go 20 minutes, I'm just trying to be biblical. I just want you to understand. I'm trying to be a good Bible preacher. Paul says, finally, my brothers, which is actually him saying, hey, let me, let me shift gears for a second, is in the original language what he's really kind of intimating here. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Remember Paul's station in prison. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, it is no trouble to me and it is safer for you. I love his pastoral heart. In context, he's writing from a dungeon prison in Rome. He's held as a political prisoner, probably like a death row inmate, limited access to people, to light, to good food, chained to a wall, and yet finding the time, this downtime as a reason to write to and pour into his, his church in Philippi. And he's like, man, I am so excited to write this for you. Finally here, he's saying, under these extreme conditions, he says, it is my pleasure. Like, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm chained to a wall and I haven't had food in days and I'm, I'm like looking at death row, staring me in the face, I'm probably not gonna pin out a letter to LifePoint and go, man, I'm so glad to be in prison just so I can, I'm gonna be petty. I'm gonna be like trying to beat the, you know, the walls, let me out. You know, Paul's just like, oh man, what a joy that I get to write this to you. It is not hard for me and it's good for you. That's a great pastor, everybody. Pray for your pastor. I need this kind of, <clears throat> it's a joke, everybody. I do love you, okay? <laughs> but he says, it's my honor to love you and put you first. And then he says this, and he switches so quick. He says, look out for the dogs. He's not talking about street animals here. He's talking about people. I'll tell you in a minute. Look out for the evildoers. By the way, he's, he's like compounding the description of the type of person he's telling the Christians to look out for. I want you to hear me when I say this. He's like, he's going, look out for bad people. Look out for this type of bad people. Hey, specifically, look out for this group of this type of these bad people. Watch, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, if you're not familiar with the context here, you go, what in the world kind of 
people is he talking about? So let me unpack it for you here. It's a strong caution to the Philippian church. He's written about this to the Galatian church. He's written about this in multiple uh, venues. In fact, he has a, a, a theological showdown with the, the apostles in Acts chapter 15 over this. It's a strong caution to the Philippian church and a strong caution to us as well. Specifically, Paul is dealing with and addressing a well-known group of Christians who are wrongly teaching. Listen to me when I say this. They are wrongly teaching that you must keep the Jewish traditions if you're gonna follow Jesus. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. And he describes them as, as the people who mutilate the flesh, who require flesh mutilization, mutilation. What is he talking about here? Specifically, they were Christians who grew up Jewish and they've come to faith in Christ, but now they're telling all these Gentile converts and other converts that if you're gonna adopt, if you're gonna embrace Jesus, you have to back into Christianity by adopting the Torah and adopting the old covenant and adopting male circumcision if you're gonna truly be saved. That's the mutilate the flesh part. And so he's telling these Gentiles in Philippi, watch out for anybody who tells you that in order for you to be saved, you have to first become a good Jew in order to become a good Jesus follower. They teach circumcision. They teach Torah observation. They teach that you have to mutilate the flesh and keep a whole host of other old covenant observations. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. And he says, watch out for them. Can I just tell you as a pastor, there is a constant resurgency of this all the time. I've seen it in 23 years of ministry. I've had cycles of people come to me trying to convince me, pastor, we gotta keep the Torah, we gotta eat kosher, stay away from shellfish, keep the Jewish festivals, like why celebrate tabernacles and booze and, and teach the church to do this as well. If we're gonna really honor God and we're gonna be a, a true church under Jesus, we need, to, we need to keep the Old Testament observation. Theologically, scholars call this the Galatian heresy. It was the major reason Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians. It was the primary issue the apostles settled at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 where they fought it out and they said, hey, if Gentiles come to faith, do they need to also be Jewish to become saved? And they said at, Gal at Acts 15, no, the spirit of God is moving among people without circumcision of their male parts, without keeping observance of the Torah. Are y'all hearing me, everybody? Because we walk by faith, not by our religious observations. If we're saved by circumcision, if we're saved by keeping laws and rules, Paul says in Galatians, Christ died for nothing. If we can behave our way to God, then Christ didn't need to come at all. So the scholars call it the Galatian heresy and it comes up over and over again and I've seen it in pastoral ministry. I remember my first trip to Israel was with a group of people that were pushing me hardcore as a young pastor to say, hey man, you really need to start, you really need to follow these rules. You really need to teach your people to keep the Torah and keep the festivals. And I'm going, what in the world did Jesus die for if we still have to, must? It's one thing to just say, I choose to live this way. It's another thing to say, I must live this way to please God. The only way we please God is Jesus. Are you hearing me, everybody? So Paul says, watch out for that. And I'm telling all of you, watch out for it. Watch out for anyone that tells you, you have to behave this way to please God. No, no, no. We live our lives. We behave in a way from a posture of faith in Christ, not in order to earn a place with Christ. It's a pretty strong term. In fact, he goes like super hard here. He calls them dogs, evil, and mutilators. Considering male circumcision required for Jews in the Old Covenant, watch what he says. We are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. Now listen, 
in the, in the old covenant, in the Jewish traditions, like the circumcision party, which is a popular meme I've been a part of, I understand. <clears throat> the circumcision party is the group of Pharisees that hunted down Jesus and that chased down Paul and ultimately put him in prison. And they call themselves the circumcision party. And Paul is now reorging that language to go, no, 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 we are the circumcision party because they believed we're the party of purity and that please God. And, G- and Paul's saying, because of Christ, we're the party of people who please Jesus. We are now the group of pure people that please the Lord. Are y'all hearing me, everybody? And look what he says. We're the circumcision party and we worship by the spirit of God. Let me tell you what he says in another text. He says, circumcision is no longer male mutilation. Now it's a place of transformation of the heart where God cuts us at the place of our heart and changes us. So, so we are all circumcised internally by the work of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me, everybody? So he says, we're the circumcision. We're the ones who worship by the spirit of God. Listen, you and I don't even worship God unless the spirit of God is helping us worship him. That's how great our God is. He goes, hey, I want you to worship me and I'm gonna put a desire in you to worship me and I'm gonna help you to worship me and it's by my spirit that you can worship my spirit. It's, it's we who worship by the spirit, we who glory in Jesus. Our glory is not in us. Our glory is in Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. I want you to hear this, church, because all of us have some version of putting our confidence in the flesh. I wanna prove myself to God, so I'm gonna get really involved and serve on Dream Team. I'm gonna be really faithful to going to church all year. I'm gonna do, 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 do. You're not called to do, do, you're called to be, be. (laughs) And in all of our trying to do, God says, just be. Sinatra said, do, be, do, be, do. God's called us to be and to live from a position of relationship with Christ, not to do to try to earn one. Are y'all hearing me, everybody? Does this make sense to you? Paul says, watch out for anyone who tells you you must perform any way to God. We do it all the time. Because of Jesus, though, we are the party that God accepts. It's not a physical circumcision now or keeping the Jewish law. We're God's people because we follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. We have circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit We who worship God, not by our actions and behaviors trying to gain acceptance, we are worshiping God by the very spirit of God. We glory not in our behaviors, but we glory in the behaviors of Christ who lived and died and raised from the dead to save us. I'm not ever gonna be able to do that for myself. And if we are putting any confidence in our flesh, if we're putting any confidence in our religious observations and religious behaviors, if we're putting any salvific attachment to our ability to keep the rules and prove ourselves to God and talk in air quotes a lot. If we think our church attendance saves us growing up with Christian parents or I had a grandfather who was a deacon in a Baptist church, if we're putting any confidence in any of that, then our confidence is not in Jesus. Man, I'm, this is hard, but it's true. I want you to hear the heart of Paul. He's writing, it's like he's going, hey, I've got to say this before I close out this letter. Watch out for this. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. It's not only outside forces telling you to do this, but it's you, it's us telling us to do this. If we're putting any confidence in any of that, then our confidence is not in Christ. If anybody's pushing you to believe this stuff, Paul says, watch out for them. Don't follow them. Follow Jesus. Follow those who point you to Jesus. As a church, listen, We are committed to follow Jesus Christ. 
We're committed to follow Christ as our risen savior, the Lord of this church, the boss of this whole thing. He is our good shepherd. He's our pastor, our senior pastor. We will worship by the spirit of God, not by our man-made efforts. We sing and we honor and we serve and we give and we come because he's been so good to us, because he loves us. And in response to his love for us, we live our lives in love to him. It would be like as a soldier, this is an analogy I was trying to fool around with in writing this sermon. If you're a soldier, but like, let's say, let's say you grow up like loving the military and you're a little kid and you know every army movie ever put out and like you grow up playing like soldier in the backyard and you've reenacted World War I and II in your yard and you've reenacted all the conflicts we've ever had and you know all the generals and all the players and, <clears throat> and you, you like know everything and you're, you've been fitted for fatigues and you went to some surplus store and bought all your own stuff and then you showed up to Fort Campbell one day ready for duty and you go, I've studied my whole life to be a high-speed soldier and I bought my own uniform. I'm ready, sir. And they go, yeah, but you, you haven't signed up. You haven't been accepted. Versus you're a kid like me who didn't grow up with any of that stuff. You would never know like I remember moving to Clarksville going, what's the difference in a captain and a staff sergeant? Which is the enlisted group and which is the officer group and what are these warrant things? I don't even know what that is. Like, I'm just, what? I grew up with no history in the military, but God assigns you and then you go sign up and pledge and they go, hey, you don't know anything, but we're gonna shape you and fashion you. We're gonna, we're gonna turn you into a soldier you're, now you're gonna, we're gonna give you a uniform. You don't earn, you don't earn it. You, you just said, yes, we've accepted you, so we're gonna give you what you need to be a good soldier. We're gonna put you in a training thing. We're gonna, we're gonna put you in the right place and the right position to be the person that you're called to be here. See, now you go living from a position of acceptance versus trying to accept your way into something. Does that make sense, everybody? And, the, and that first kid is like, that first person is what many of us try to do to earn our way to God. We go, Lord, I grew up in this church. I, I, I was faithful to Sunday school. I, I tithed, I, I read my Bible through and through. I read the whole Bible every year and I've done all this stuff, God. Now you are pleased with me, right? No, he's not. Put no confidence in your flesh, in your effort, in your rules. Every religion teaches this. Behave in a way to please God. Christianity says Jesus behaved in a way that pleases the Father and you receive it by faith and you be accepted by God and now you live in response to that. Does that make sense, everybody? Our confidence is in Jesus, not us. It's not in the flesh. Now, listen, I gotta be careful. I'm not telling you to just not show up. I'm not telling you to not have a prayer life. I just want to put it in the right position. I want you to pray because you've received Christ, not trying to get, you've already been saved. Like now we go, God, thank you for saving me. Oh Lord, I can't believe I can confidently come boldly to the throne. I go to church not to try to prove anything or to check a box for God. I go to church because it's his family and it's his bride and I love being around God's people. Put no confidence in your flesh, but put it all in Christ. Look what he says. First, this is Paul from prison, chained to a wall, lost everything. Look what he says. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anybody thinks 
this is Paul just, just flexing a little bit, you know. If anybody thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. It's interesting how he takes a moment to just highlight how inappropriate it is to trust in the flesh. And he's the model of that because he lived his whole life trusting in this game of chasing a religious status symbol and trusting in his flesh and his own efforts. Watch what he says. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what the law said to do. Of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. The Benjaminites were the only ones that were literally still seen as like the pure line of the Jewish people. Paul's like, I'm not just Jewish, I'm Jewish Jewish. <laughs> he even says it, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying like, I'm super Jewish, come at me. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. So look, it's like saying as to the American law, I'm a Supreme Court justice. Like I'm the highest caste group of the, of the law. As to a... To zeal, you want to talk about some zeal? Y'all think you're zealous? Zealous? He said, I persecuted the very church that we're all building now. He said, I was so zealous, I was putting people in prison and killing them. As to righteousness under the law, look what Paul says, I was blameless. You could find no fault in my ability to keep up with the law and the rules. He says, I was the best of the best. It's a pretty impressive resume. Top shelf Jew right? Zealous member of the Pharisees, blameless in his ability to always do the right thing. Able to climb the social ladder, elevate in religious society, promoted at a young age, studied with Gamaliel, who was like the Harvard Law, like the elite professor at Harvard Law. He had everything going for him. It's like I felt after grad school. I sang at my graduation. I put in the work. I had good grades. I was tall. But if I'm honest, I put my confidence in my resume and my ability, and I was sure that God would come through for me because I did my part. And he sent me to Papa John's. And he sent Paul to prison. And here's what happens when we put our confidence in our effort. Watch, look, look, I need you to hear this. When we put our confidence in our own effort and then what we desire doesn't pan out, watch this. We get mad at God. It's a trick of the devil. To put you on that hamster wheel, make all these promises to you. If you'll do it this way, if you'll do it this way, if you'll do it this way, then you'll get what you want. And we train our kids. If you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want. Instead of teaching our kids, we want you to hear from God and do whatever he wants you to do. <clears throat> When we put our confidence in the flesh and don't get what we want, we get mad at God. But Paul is it with joy. Well, look at what he's saying. I was the best of 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 the best as I'm writing you from prison, chained to a wall. Watch what he says. Whatever gain I had, I count all of that as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything I had, nothing compared to knowing Jesus. I was the top of my class. I was the head of the Jewish tradition. I was zealous, perfect, blameless, and no, none of that meant anything compared to knowing Christ. We walk by faith in Jesus, not by faith in the flesh. 
He said, indeed, I count everything as lost because of, look at this, the surpassing worth. Like as worthy as it is to be the top, you can be the president of the United States, you can be the head of the global organizations, you can be the top of your company, make more money, bigger house, all of that. It's nothing, if you are a 10 out of 10 for this world, it is nothing compared to the surpassing worth. It's infinite out of infinite of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There is nothing like knowing Christ, not chasing Christ, knowing Christ. Are y'all hearing me, everybody? Nothing compares to the amazing opportunity of, of getting to know Jesus, live for God, serve the King, and live in relationship. He said, everything I have is nothing compared to the amazing opportunity to know Jesus. Without knowing Christ, knowing about him is not the same as knowing him. Doing the right thing under him is nothing compared to being in right relationship with him. Everything else this world has to offer is nothing Nothing compared to the surpassing worth of having an intimate open door access to the God of heaven. For some of us, we've put too much stock in what our resume says, our academic pedigree, or we try really hard to do the right thing and act right. Listen, we want to promote to the top of our organizations and achieve our dreams, but nothing this world has to offer, nothing religion has to offer, has anything in comparison to relational intimacy with God our Father, Jesus the Son, and life with the Holy Spirit. I want to invite everybody here, stop trusting your flesh, stop trusting religion, and trust Jesus. If you're trying to earn your way to God, I'm asking you to repent. Grow in relationship with Christ. Open your Bible. Spend time in prayer because he loves you, not because you're trying to earn his love. He already loves you so much. There's nothing you can do to push away his love from you. And if you're trying to prove yourself to him, repent, 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 and grow close to God. There's nothing compares to knowing Jesus, having a prayer life, spending time in God's word because he's loved you so deeply. Am I talking to anybody in the church today? Is this helpful for, I feel like I'm shouting up here, but I just, I have nothing to do with that way of life. And if I have ever preached in a way that causes you to feel some burden of chore, I repent. We wanna live from a place of love for God, not in an effort to earn our love for God. Finally, walk with Jesus and experience a different life. And we walk by faith, not by the flesh, right? So learn to walk with Jesus. I'm asking you, listen, do you pray because you love Jesus? Or do you pray because you're trying to fill a box? Do you, do you spend time in God's word because you're trying to get through your Bible reading plan? Or do you spend time in God's word because you go, this is the revelation of God to me? And I get to know his character more because of this text of scripture? Do you come to church because, man, I just love lifting my hands in worship and being around God's people? Or do you come to church because you're hoping to impress God or impress someone here? Let's walk with Jesus, everybody. And then he says, you'll experience a different life. Now I'm gonna say something hard and funny all at the same time. Paul is super passionate about making sure we are deeply committed to Jesus. Not rules, not religion, not Jewish traditions. We don't trust any form of religion. We don't put our trust in any of that stuff. We put our trust in Jesus and we walk in intimacy with him. If G Listen, I want you to think about this. If Jesus came into your house this morning and said, hey, you wanna hang out today? How many of you would be like, yes? How many of you would be like, no, man, I'm sorry, I gotta go to church. <laughs> sorry, bro, I gotta go to work today. Can we, 
rain check. Look at me, look at real me. Every day you have an open invite to fellowship and intimacy with God. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Father wants to walk with you every day. So walk with him and invite him in. Make him known when my wife and I have this thing and like when we're in discussion and especially if it's heated or we're working through something, we just stop and we go, so Lord, like we'll be looking at each other talking and she'll go, okay, so Lord, you're here. So we're just gonna go ahead and loop you in the conversation. So Lord, you know what we're talking about. You know what's going, just like that normal. Just invite the Lord into everything. Walk with him. Watch this. Paul writes, this is hilarious and hard all at the same time. Is anybody in like, I'm offended mood right now? I just need to know before this next one's like. Anybody in like a good mood? Okay, just check it. Cause you're gonna laugh and be like, ooh, and then think I'm offensive. So <clears throat> Paul's writing, he said, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of everything. This is one of the ways you can know your relationship with Christ is like strong. You can lose everything. Paul went from the highest heights to a Roman, like the Romans occupied Israel. So they're the out, they're like the bad guys and he's in their prison. He said, for the sake of Christ, I've lost everything. And watch this. And I count all of it as rubbish. Everybody say rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and what? Be found in him. Go do a word study in the New Testament of how many times Paul talks about being in Christ, found in Christ. He says at one point, he goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Lord, like you've seen a man who's been with Jesus. Now watch, Paul said, everything I worked hard for, I've lost it all. And not only have I lost it all, because have any of you ever lost everything and you're like, I can't wait to rebuild it? That's the story of a lot of self-made billionaires. They're like, I lost it all in one sweeping decision, but I worked really hard to get it back. Paul's like, I lost it all and I count it all as rubbish. Now the word, this is the funny offensive part. The word rubbish in English feels like just pile of trash, right? But this word in the Greek, it's one of my favorite words in the New Testament. It's the word skubala. I say skubala. You just cussed. Yeah, you're welcome. It means a steaming pile of human excrement. It's this. <clears throat> I had to do it. I just had to do it. Don't tell my wife I did this, okay? She doesn't even know. Paul said, everything I was trying to do, I was the best of my class. I was the top of it all. I was the leader of all. I was the one appointed to do it all. I was going hard. I was blameless for the law and I've lost it all. And in fact, I count it as a steaming pile of soft serve ice cream. <laughs> the word scubala means pile of dung. Another form of that word could be a lot more crass. In fact, when the authors, when the readers read this, they're like, oh my goodness, Paul, bro, calm down. Can you imagine if your pastor just said, it's all a pile of... That's essentially what Paul said. Here's how serious he is about this. Look, listen. He starts by saying, watch out for anybody who teaches you to live by the law, by rules, by religion. They, they teach you to mutilate your flesh. He calls them dogs and evildoers. 
And he said, to put your confidence in any of that, he said, it's, it's just dumb. It's crap. And it pales in comparison to gaining Christ and being found in Christ. Can you imagine one day we're gonna stand before God in heaven and Jesus Christ, our Lord, is gonna gather us like a hen gathers his chicks and he goes, these are my sons and daughters. These are my brothers and sisters. These are the ones who by faith in me have lived and we offer them to the glory of the Father. I wanna be found in Christ, not in a set of rules. I wanna be found in Christ, not in me. I don't wanna be found in my resume. I wanna be found in the resume of sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, everybody? For his sake, I've suffered the loss of everything and I count it as rubbish that I may be found in him and gain Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That, look what he says. I'm not righteous through keeping the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I am so confident that Jesus was real, that he lived, that he died, that he raised from the dead for me. I am so confident in that. And I've placed my life in his hands. I've placed my trust for eternity in him. My, my righteousness comes from my faith in Jesus, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. Watch this. And the faith that I may, and he gives us five things here that we get to now look forward to, that I may know him. I don't wanna just know about God. I wanna know him. I wanna hear his voice. I wanna understand when he's speaking to me. I wanna have intimacy with the Father. I wanna know the Holy Spirit. I wanna know God. Paul says that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Here's the power of his resurrection. Are you ready? I was dead and now I'm alive. I was caught up in my sin, but now I overcome my sin because of a risen savior. I will one day too live for eternity with my God in heaven. The power of his resurrection. Number three, that I may share his sufferings. Man, nobody likes that. Here's what Paul says from prison. Yeah, this is part of it. Some of us have no theology of suffering at all. We think, oh, what is God doing to me? How about what is God doing in me? That I may know his sufferings, that I may become like him in his death. Hey, I wanna be like Jesus in his death. He died to sin. He died in the flesh so that in his death, I can become like him and that I may by any means possible, attain the resurrection from the dead. Listen, one day I'm gonna be with him forever. I can't wait. I'm here to tell you, if you wanna earn your way to God through religion, it's a dead end. But if you wanna devote, devote yourself to knowing Christ, building relationship with him through prayer, through God's word, through your church and your small group, if you, if you want it, then look at these benefits. He says you can know God intimately and personally. You can know the power of his resurrection, that he raises our lives, he makes us brand new. You can share in his sufferings. You won't have to die on the cross. Nobody has to do that again. But you'll know persecution for truth. Following Jesus may cost you everything. It'll cost you freedoms, passions, relationships, even your own life possibly. But what an honor to share in the sufferings of our master and our King Jesus. We get to become like him. Religion tells you how to become a better you. Following Jesus helps you become more like Jesus. And finally, we get to attain resurrection from the dead. In this life, but in the eternal life to come, we live above sin, we rise above the craziness of our culture, we take hold of the truth of God in our lives. So what if we stop the rat race of trying to prove ourselves worthy to God and just receive what he's done for us? 
I want you to understand something, everybody. You are worthy of salvation. Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything God has done for you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's made you worthy. God who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of God. And that while we were sinners, God died for us. God showed his love for us in this way. We were enemies of God and he made us family. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, everybody? You are worthy because of Christ's effort, not because of yours. So what if we lean into a relationship with Jesus as a privilege, not a burden, and we repent for whatever religious activities or whatever things in the flesh we're trying to pursue to prove ourselves worthy to God and just receive by faith Jesus, our master, his righteousness and his salvation as a free gift. And now, what if we would live our life from a position of saved, found, loved by God and not live in a way trying to earn all of that? You've received it. So let's orient our lives from a place of belonging to Jesus and let him make us more like himself, living a resurrected life, raised above sin and death. In these next few weeks, I wanna invite you to 21 days of prayer. I wanna invite you to get in a small group to help flesh this out, to learn this more. You don't have to do these things, you get to do these things. Listen, some of you need our care groups like divorce care and reboot and grief share. Some of you need a good old fashioned Bible study. Many of us need a good old fashioned Bible study. And let's just commit to Jesus, live from him, live for him because we live from relationship with him. Amen, everybody. Did you get anything out of this word today? Come on, watching online, joining us at Austin P. So Lord, we've heard your word and we receive it by faith today, knowing that you have a good word for us from Philippians. What our apostle Paul writes to us from that terrible jail cell is a reminder that our life is hidden in Christ, that we belong to Jesus, that you love us deeply and that we've become worthy to receive the gospel, not because of our efforts, but because of yours. So Lord, by faith, we receive it again. Come on, everyone, would you just open your hands to the Lord? Say, God, I receive by faith your gospel for me. I receive Jesus, the payment for my sin, the son of the living God who died and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Now pray this and mean it, say, Lord, I choose to live an eternal life from here forward. I live from a posture of saved son or daughter of the living God. I'm all in, I'm all yours. It's my privilege to pray. It's my joy to worship. It's my honor to spend time in your word, to belong to my church, to live every day on fire for Jesus. It's my privilege because you lived for me. I live for you. I will not put my confidence in the flesh. Come on, say it again. I will not put my confidence in my flesh. I will not put my confidence in the rules, in religion. My confidence is in Jesus. I'm all in, Lord. To God be the glory, in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our message. My prayer for you is that you've been inspired and challenged by the message and also moved in your devotion to Jesus. If you'd like to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ, stay connected or even partner with us through generosity, please be sure to visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. We hope you have a blessed week 
and we will see you next Sunday. 